0: Hello, listeners, and welcome to the second episode of Corpus Amygdala. This week, we're going to be talking about the disappearance of Brian Schaefer. And this is still a missing, an active missing persons case. And if you have any information on the location of Brian Schaefer or any other missing person, please submit a tip to the FBI at tips.fbi.gov or call 1-800-CALL-FBI. These links are also going to be in the description of the podcast. Brian Schaefer, by all accounts, was a normal kid. He grew up in a suburb of Columbus, Ohio, called Pickerton. And for undergrad, he attended Ohio State University, studying microbiology. After undergrad, he started his medical degree at his alma mater, OSU. Two years into his medical degree, on Friday, March 31st, Brian met a friend named Clint Florence at the Ugly Tuna Saloon to celebrate the first day of spring break. After that, they started bar hopping. And at every stop, they had a shot a shot of hard liquor. So, when Meredith Reed, a friend of Clint's, gave Brian and Clint a ride back to the Ugly Tuna Saloon, they were very intoxicated. Brian, Clint, and Meredith were all spotted on the CCTV riding up the escalator toward the Ugly Tuna at 1:15 a.m. At 1 at 1:50 a.m., Brian was captured on CCTV saying goodbye to some young women outside of the bar. To be clear, he never went outside as in like on the street. He was still in the overall building, but he was just uh, just outside of the bar. Brian then turned around and walked towards the bar. He was never captured on CCTV again. And Clint said that he had seen Brian, but lost track of him in the 15 minutes or so before the bar closed. By 2 a.m., he was nowhere to be found. And his friends assumed that he left to go back to his apartment. Two days later, he missed his flight to Miami and his friends called the police he has not been heard or seen from since
1: this is where it gets really weird because in modern day we base ourselves on technology on cameras on and this kind of brings an, uh, an aspect of safety or the illusion of safety as it is and it with all this cameras and stuff it almost makes it so easy you would think that he would just be caught on cctv but no he just disappears out of thin air and is never seen again with no alibis with no nothing he's gone
0: yeah and i mean what makes it really weird is we're talking five minutes you know he five minutes he turned around walked toward the bar a crowded area around 2 a.m and was never seen from again
1: and in such a crowded place you you'd think that like someone would have seen him and someone would have been there looking for him and it's just gone out of absolute thin air it's it's almost unsettling because you think to yourself that, you know, there's people here, you're safe, but it it, almost in such a crowded place, you're nothing. You're just gone. And, and,
0: yeah, he just lost in the mob. It's,
1: and it's it's scary because again, he is, this is an open missing case. He is there's no evidence, and no one knows where Brian Schaefer actually is. So, getting into what investigators thought, investigators did start at the Ugly Tuna, and their first thought was CCTV. You know, trying to figure out where he is at the time of his disappearance. They poured over the Ugly Tuna CCTV and even the surrounding tape, any uh, tapes of nearby businesses but nothing showed where Brian was. He was utterly gone. The only other way out of the bar was quickly rolled out because it was, one, close to the public, and two, it led to a construction site that would have been near impossible to walk through and intoxicated. And on top of that was a huge safety hazard and could have easily hurt him fatally, so he could have not have have even left the area. But this didn't stop police. The police got very desperate at this point because with no leads, no possible evidence to... have any idea where he's going they started do- doing anything to find him they checked dumpsters gutters they even led canines through the street in hopes that something would catch up his scent but nothing it led to zero leads everyone who saw brian that evening including his father were given lie detector tests to see if anyone would was lying about their alibi about brian everyone passed except for clint florence his friend who was drinking with him that night refused to take the test And this gets into, while there were no leads, and the only lead being Clint Florence, who decides to not give the lie detector test, the cops were left with basically nothing. In this period, in this period of years after disappearance, there were sightings, there were little pings of evidence of Brian Schaefer's existence. One of the creepiest is that his phone pinged a cell tire 14 miles Northwest Columbus, Ohio. And you would think to yourself, I mean, this had to happen in the, 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 the time right after his disappearance, but actually it happened years after his disappearance. So, I mean, that brings a lot of things in. Why would, how would his phone get there? And why would it be pinged outside of his hometown or outside Columbus actually with no, I mean, this is years after he's gone. No one's ever seen him. No one has any evidence of his even existing. But there we go. His phone pops up. But as quickly as it pinged, it was gone just like that. On top of this, there were a couple of sightings. Haven't been confirmed, but they are very interesting to think. We have some alleged sightings in Michigan. That's quite a way. Texas and the farthest of even Sweden. These leads were immediately investigated, but again, led to nothing because of no evidence. It was just all eyes, just all eyewitness accounts. Brian's father tragically passed away in an accident in September 2008, two years after the disappearance of Brian. Along with his obituary, a condolence book was posted online. One of the signatures was, To Dad Love Brian, and this was in the U.S. Virgin Islands. The message, however, was termed to be a hoax after it was traced to a public computer in Franklin County, Ohio. But it's still interesting to think about if it was a hoax or if it wasn't, if it was actually Brian doing that. It, it's, it's very creepy to think about that his disappearance is gone but little traces of him are still left in a last-ditch effort brian's family got in contact with a psychic in order to in order to attempt to locate him. maybe if he actually did pass on beyond our realm the psychic told them that brian's body was in water near a bridge pier close to the family brian's family searched effortlessly in vain for months along the shore of the the alatangi river but to no avail, they found nothing, and they gave up.
0: So even though there are there's no real evidence uh, for what happened to Brian, there are a whole bunch of theories online, and and the first one I think the the most likely and the most grounded is that Brian he simply fell or was pushed into the Olentangy River. It's nearby the bar, and uh, people people drown. You know that's that's what happens when you're drunk. You fall into the water, and you just you can't get back out. The only thing that puts sort of a uh, a hole, I guess, in this theory is that his body and his belongings have never been found.
1: And I and I I personally do find this theory unlikely, just because the fact of he couldn't have gotten out without someone seeing him, because or something on camera seeing him. But again, when the police investigate and the investigators investigate all these crimes, they 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 look for every possible answer, because there are sometimes the unlikely is the likely. So I understand why they did it, but again, with no evidence of any of those possessions being found, anything like that, it's, it's clearly that this, this probably wasn't the answer. One theory, another theory, is that Brian exited the Ugly Tuna through the door that led to the construction site, pushed through forcefully to get through that door. But when he got on the site, was hurt fatally because it was a dangerous open construction site, and especially when well intoxicated, those things mixed too well. Uh, fearing a lawsuit, the ugly tuner tried to cover it up. Now the problem with this is it's a, it's a solid theory. I mean, logically it would make sense, but the business owner had all the right signs. They, they regulated it right. There was no reason for them to get in trouble for Brian's mishap if he did fall on that construction site. But, and also on top of this, the police searched dogs. They took, they got us, they had the dogs get, catch a scent and then search everywhere in the ugly tuna. Nowhere did they find any evidence in the construction sites. And with the door even not being opened at that time, it is very unlikely that this this theory happened. It was true.
0: Agreed. Uh, I, I just, it's almost, it's one of those things that just seems nonsensical. You know, why would they, why would they cover it up when it's just a, just something that happened? You know, he was drunk. He went out a door. He wasn't supposed to in the middle of the night that led to an active construction site. It's uh, I just, I find it unlikely.
1: Yeah. And, The biggest thing is that that door wasn't open. There's with that, there's only one entrance, which is a CCTV. And so the area surrounding the Ugly Tuna is a very high crime area. There is uh, some speculation that Clinton himself is actually a drug dealer or drug user, should I say. He And he took Brian to this very unsettling part of town. It was very, like I said, it was a very high crime area. And it's possible that Brian was just in the wrong place at the wrong time due to his friendship with Clint. And so what he did was Clint covered it up just so he didn't get in trouble. And, I mean, it. it this is the most, I, in my opinion, the most logical theory because Clint actually was the only person who didn't take the polygraph test. While he didn't have to because there wasn't enough evidence pinned against him, it's still weird. Why wouldn't you want to prove yourself that you didn't hurt your friend? There's no – it's no attacking him unless, you know um, – unless he had something to do with it, you know?
0: Or at least maybe he knows more. Maybe it wasn't him that did it, but he saw something that could get him, get him into trouble. And, uh, he just doesn't want to, he doesn't want to do it or he doesn't want to talk about it.
1: And, and that's the biggest theory. And that's actually, um, what the Brian's loved ones believe the most, uh, because it's, it's the, it's the only claim with the, the most amount of evidence with, with just, with Clinton's lack of, uh, lack of testimony lack of uh polygraph it just it just doesn't seem right there's just there's a little like you just feel wrong about it
0: so on the day of the celebration uh clinton actually he uh sorry not clint uh sorry let me just restart on the day of the celebration brian and his father they went out to dinner beforehand they got a steak dinner and he saw that brian he just looked exhausted Uh, He explained that he just pulled a bunch of all-nighters the week prior studying for med school. And he had also recently lost his mother to cancer. So possibly he could have been feeling the pressure from med school and uh, Brian just couldn't take it. And uh, in his drunken state, he he took his own life. Um, It's also possible Brian had stated in the past that he wanted to do a, uh, a Jimmy Buffett style band where he just quits medicine and leaves. But as, as we all know, uh, anyone who's going into medicine is taking out a large amount of debt. So also Brian took six years to complete his degree at OSU. So who knows? He could have already been, uh, 200, $300,000 in debt and just, he hated, he could have hated medicine and just decided that he couldn't take it anymore. And, um, he he could have committed suicide or uh, a little bit more, um, optimistic maybe he just decided to skip town you know leave uh leave another country and uh, brian did say that or brian's family i should say they, they didn't report that brian acted any differently but it is possible
1: and I, I am a man that loves conspiracy theories i love thinking the unthinkable and this is why i i, I believe this theory out of most of all because knowing med school debt it's two hundred thousand dollars in debt, three hundred thousand dollars in debt i mean That's horrific. I mean, why would I mean you're gonna be spending the rest of your career paying that off. And what my my theory is that Brian took this and did exactly that. Fled the country. He went to a place where he can use that degree and actually get away from his debt. And you know, went under another name, fake passports. And looking at I, I did take a look at the CCD TV that night. I mean, while we didn't get a clear picture of Brian's face leaving the bar, he could have easily maybe like avoided the cameras, knowing the cameras, and just planned this. While it doesn't seem likely in his intoxicated state, I I don't see why not he could have just known this is the perfect night to leave and just ditch town and you know, leave all his responsibilities behind. But the problem I have with this is Brian seemed to have a close relationship with his family. His father, his mother, especially after losing her, It it could have been really hard on him, and he maybe used leaving his mother as an excuse to just – just leave it all behind start new. And I mean, like I said, this is the most positive uh, outcome to this whole event. I mean, it's, it's terrible It's missing, but there really is no, there's no logical explanation because unless he purposely hit himself and ran off without them knowing, you know what I'm saying? I mean, no one could have manipulated the camera that much that he could have, you know, at least stopped or at least got on CCTV somehow.
0: Yeah, I know one of the original theories was that maybe he had changed clothes, but mm-hmm. everyone else who went to the bar that night was accounted for. So, uh, unless he had clothes with him and we don't see him carrying a backpack or anything like that, we don't. So, care. unless he had clothes with him, he couldn't have taken clothes from someone else because, you know, then they would be the unaccounted for person. Um, so it, it's it's very weird. It, it's just and it is possible that he just wasn't spotted by the CCTV again. Maybe mm-hmm. it's i don't know it was pointed in an opposite uh direction or was obscured or something like that but i i find that unlikely
1: i find that unlikely too especially with the surrounding cameras in the area it's it's almost it, like i said it's extremely unlikely that anything like that could have happened
0: yeah it's actually a great point as we mentioned earlier this is a high crime area so you'd think there would be more cctv cameras per you know square mile yeah. than in uh than somewhere nicer
1: yeah especially with such a high crime area that like the cameras have got to be prevalent especially in a bad area in like a a bar yeah I, i i just don't see why that isn't you know more secured um so it's interesting because brian actually went to this bar twice he he was bar hopping and looped and he finished off at this bar so i know it's not discussed but one of my also possible theories there is no publicly accessible cctv of when he first came into the bar only when he was leaving the bar um so my one of my theories is maybe if this is more of the escape theory because what if he planned this whole night he's going to his first bar he knows he's not going to be that drunk so he can at least plan a theory maybe he planned extra clothes maybe he planned at least some sort of go bag in the bar just so that he can leave and in, in something completely different so he's unaccessible to or unrecognizable, at least to modern CCTV and this whole plan. Because it's funny because he said he missed his flight to Miami two days later. But what if he set up some fake thing where he, this once the fl- uh, flight went missing, everyone knew he went missing. You know, he missed his flight, but he had another flight set up under a different name. I mean, it's completely possible because then they would have thrown everyone off. That thing, he would be going to a different airport, a different place. So, I mean, again, I'm more of an optimist. I believe that, you know, this is the most likely theory. And that's why I like these, these little pieces of evidence, these little personal connections or uh, uh, likely uh, sightings that, you know, that he was actually doing something else. Is it likely that he just left to a different part of the states? Possibly. But I like that he was in different – like he, his phone was connected again because – I mean he could have ditched his phone and then someone just took it. But the problem is with those cell tign- signals, it was with his number. So it likely that it would be unlikely that someone have the same exact number and change that number. So that's why I believe he probably left and came back. He might have came back to just slightly visit with the family. But the thing is, what, what if the family knew about it and that you couldn't reveal that your know your son is missing or presumed dead? Because then then the, you know that's going to be a problem. Then all your debt's going to come back. Everyone's gonna they're gonna sue you. So maybe it's possible they knew. You know, and they just and that's why maybe in these possible sightings, there was other family there. And I don't know. It's I mean, again, it's all a theory, but it's we're just trying to explain something that from the outside seems unexplainable, really.
0: And who knows? I mean, if we're if we want to go full optimist, maybe Clint knew he knew something. uh, He helped plan it. He helped cover it up. And that's why he chose not to take the polygraph test, because the the less people that know, the better, you know, it one of the things you have to commit to when you go, when you want to fake your own death or when you want to uh, go into the witness protection program is you can't talk to any of the people that you knew from your previous life. You, you can't contact them. You can't, that's how you get caught.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And if Brian was really feeling this way, I mean, with a degree in microbiology uh, he's not going to be making anywhere near the amount of money. If he did drop out of med school, uh, that he wouldn't be making enough money to pay off that debt. So maybe he just felt trapped and uh, this was his way out.
1: And and this is why I like talking about this theory because I, out of all the research, I feel it's the most likely. And I definitely think Clint was, I know they kind of, they hate on Clint, but honestly, I think like like you said, if you want to defend a friend, do whatever you can to help him. And I mean, like absolutely, you would feel trapped, especially if you spent all those years of your life in medical school, all those years putting hard-ass work and just working so hard and then getting to end up ending $200,000 in debt for something that you didn't even want to do. And your whole life is just fucked up because there's nothing you can do about it. And I, that's why, I mean, if I was in a situation, that's something that I would even contemplate. So it, it makes sense that he would, that this is a likely theory. But again, these are all theories because we're, again, we're trying to explain something that to the common eye is unexplainable.
0: And uh, one thing to remember, I think if uh when you have that many loans, we don't know the exact financial status of his family, but they appear to be well off. They live in a you know, the suburb of a of a major city. So Brian's probably taking out a decent amount of loans and uh his parents are going to have to co-sign for them eventually. So if uh if you stop paying those loans, the parents are stuck with the debt. But if you go missing or you die, I would have to assume that there's some sort of clause in the contract that says, you know, if uh, they died, that, that doesn't transfer. So this could have been, you know, his best option in light of that. So this next theory is is the most interesting, in my opinion, but it's also, I think, the least likely. There are two NYPD detectives, Kevin Gannon and Anthony Duarte, and they propose that 45 college-age kids who have drowned in the Midwest from 1990 to 2008. Did not die accidentally. Instead, they were murdered by a group of serial killers or one serial killer called the Smiley Face Serial Killer. And they say that all of these kids were pushed in or were forced into a uh, into a, a fast moving stream or a river, and uh, they they were they were drowned. And the reason they're called the Smiley Face Killer is that all of these so called dumping sites are these perspective dumping sites, there's a smiley face graffitied on a wall nearby. And this doesn't sound too convincing at first, but when you look into it, it gets a little bit scary. All of the people who were murdered were popular, athletic, good-looking, and good students. Also, every single one of them were last seen exiting a party with alcohol in their systems. And when I say that these kids were similar, I mean some, nine of them even went to the same university. And they're all within a few inches of height of each other. They're all, almost all of them are white. And they're all even within a few pounds of each other. The police rule out almost all of these drawings as accidental, which is great for a serial killer because there's no autopsy. And uh, they rule them out as accidental due to the, to the alcohol involved, even if not all of these drownings fit. For example, Chris Jenkins, a student at the University of Minnesota, was found encased in ice with his hands folded across his chest, which is not a typical way to drown. You know, usually you're all flailed out or you're, you know, upside down or in a very strange position. There were also some marks on, on Jenkins that indicated that he may have been burned or he may have been tortured in some way and, and killed and then put into the water. And anyone who's watched The Wire knows that it's not exactly past the, 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 the police to not cover things up, but to ignore certain pieces of evidence to make their statistics look better, to, to juke the stats. Uh, also, another thing that's really creepy about this is when you connect the dots of all of the prospective dumping sites, it looks like a, the bottom half, you know, a, a mouth smiling, and there's even a uvula included. Uh, Brian, he fits the profile, um, of who the alleged killers or killer would target. Uh, he's good looking, popular medical student. Uh, and he was in the right area. You know, he was in Ohio. All of these take place in the Midwest. Um, but the, the big difference is that his body has never been found. So it's impossible to know for sure if he drowned. So it's impossible to know for sure what happened to Brian. Um, it's possible that he could have left the bar and is still living, but unfortunately I, I think that he, that he's dead. I think that he was just missed on the CCTV. Uh, it's 2006. So CCTV is not as ubiquitous as it is now. And, uh, I think that he may have fallen into a river or, uh, hit his head, uh, at the construction site and was just covered over. He wasn't noticed, but, uh, it's impossible.
1: Uh, my opinion is that the escape, I think he just couldn't handle the pressures of everyday life and planned this elaborate escape to get away from it all. Um, I'm more of an optimist on this, but I, I, I see a lot of evidence pointing that way.
0: And it, like I said, it's impossible for us to know. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Corpus Amygdala. If you have any feedback or you want to reach out, please email us at amygdala one at gmail.com. That's amygdala one at gmail.com or you can tweet at us at C amygdala. Thank you again. Have a good one.